So we, uh, we are back in the book of Matthew this morning. We have, we took a three-week break, I think it was, for a series on the church, what the church is, which we need to be reminded of these days. And, and now we're back in Matthew, and this is week 18 of that. And if you want notes, um, Susan has printed some notes off in the back there if you'd like to follow along. And then online, there's a link in the description of the video, and you can click on that and... Do whatever you want with them. Print them, just read them on your screen, whatever. Um, and these are just my sermon notes. They're not special. They don't have blanks to fill out. Ain't nobody got time for that. All right? Um, so if you want to use them, you can. All right? So we're in Matthew 7. It's really at the end. We're really going to be in Matthew 8. But Matthew 7, 28 and 29, those last couple of scriptures in Matthew 7 are really important because it's a transition statement. Just like when you're writing yourself, and you want to start a new topic, you have a little transition statement that kind of sets up what's coming. And this will tell you kind of what Matthew has in his head when he tells us these stories he's going to tell us about Jesus. Okay, um, So let's read this. It says, this is Matthew 7, 28 and 29. He says, and when Jesus finished these sayings, so these sayings would be basically the whole Sermon on the Mount that we covered already. All right. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And this is not just any authority. This is, oh, this is my word. Sorry. This is not scripture. Um, I was like, this doesn't sound like scripture. Um, so the part in italics in your notes is the scripture. What I'm about to say is not. Okay, let's be really clear. Right? Um, so this is not just any authority. This is kingdom authority. This is the rule of God coming to earth. So all this stuff Jesus is teaching, everyone's recognizing this guy not just, doesn't just have new content that we've never heard before. He's speaking with like an authority that we've never seen before that all of our guys, all of our teachers don't have. And so now what Matthew's going to do is he's going to begin to tell us the stories of Jesus' miracles as a way of saying this is the kind of authority Jesus had that no one else had. It's not just in what Jesus taught, it's also in what Jesus did, okay? <clears throat> so Jesus was not just any rabbi teaching just any old way. You can't say about Jesus that he is just a teacher. Because you could say that up until Matthew chapter 8. <laughs> but when you get to Matthew chapter 8, you start to see there's something different here, right? Um, and Jesus is, well, that's not really even true, because even in Jesus' teaching, he was saying, I'm the Messiah, right? But Jesus is not just any, just any old teacher. He's teaching was accompanied by an authority that no one had seen before. And we can see that in his miracles, and that's... I think Matthew's big point. So if you're wondering, like, why, what's, what's the meaning behind all these stories, that's at least one of them. Is it with a word Jesus could just rid someone of disease? It's amazing. All right, so let's look at the first story here. Matthew 8, verses 1 through 4. It says, When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying... Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. All right, so let's 
pause for a minute and just talk about leprosy. All right, I spent entirely too much time reading about leprosy this week. But the thing I think that's important is that leprosy was sort of the disease that was incurable. That, that, that it was beyond anyone's ability to deal with. They couldn't help it. They couldn't make it better. They couldn't cure it. They couldn't take it away. They couldn't ease someone's pain. It just was this, this thing that if you got leprosy, it was just, it was the end for you. All they could do about it was shun a person and, and sort, of, sort of sequester them, quarantine this person off in a community with other people that had the same disease because it was very contagious. And you couldn't be around people. You couldn't touch people that didn't, didn't have leprosy. That's all they could do about it. It was a hopeless situation. So it was, it was, it was like, the, like the cancer of our day, but almost worse because they, couldn't even, they didn't even have treatments. It was just, well, you got it now. So along with this came this, there was a lot of kind of uh, meaning behind leprosy too, which was that if you had leprosy, you were considered to be cursed by God. So imagine going to the doctor and getting a diagnosis that also meant that God was against you. Healings were extremely rare and they were considered as difficult as raising the dead. It was thought like if you could heal a leper, it was, that was as hard as raising somebody from the dead. So not only was a leper considered ceremonially unclean, meaning you couldn't be around them, but, but, but so was anyone that came into contact with that person. So the Jews really, really hated leprosy. And I think if they were honest, they kind of hated lepers. Yet here, Jesus, this leper, this outcast, this incurable person with this disease that was scary and insurmountable and incurable and untouchable, this guy walks up to Jesus, kneels before him, honoring him, and says, will you heal me? And Jesus not only does, doesn't step away like this, hold on, would you please put your mask on, <laughs> right? He steps towards him and reaches his hand out and touches him. And how is it that Jesus is not in that moment made unclean? Because that was the law. The law was, if you touched the leper, you were now unclean. You had to go through the whole rigmarole to get clean again before you could go and worship. Jesus reaches out and touches him, and Jesus is not defiled, but the man is made clean. Now, this is, this is crazy. Like, if you're watching this, this is an insane thing that just happened. Because not only is Jesus not made unclean, but he has made the unclean clean by just touching him and saying a word. So if you're watching this happen in front of you, this is a kind of power you can't even imagine coming through a person. It's just not something that happens. You might as well have stopped the sun from moving. Right? I mean, it's just, you might as well have walked on water. <laughs> so I want to point out here what the leper says. It's really important. And it kind of connects back to that verse we started with. Verses 2 and 3, look at what the leper says and what Jesus says. He says, And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. If you will... You can, if you choose, if you decide, 
right? That's what will means. Just think about what that word means. If you decide to do it, I will be clean. And then what does Jesus respond to him by saying? He says, I will. Now that's not I will, comma, be clean. It's like I will, I choose. That's a separate phrase. I, okay, if you, that's faith. You believe that if I'll do it, it'll happen. So yeah, I'll do it, but I'll be clean. So Jesus chooses and then he does it. So the leper's faith is not whether or not the healing will happen. His faith is in Jesus himself. It's really important for us to understand this because we get it confused constantly. It isn't the will of the leper, it's the will of Jesus. Jesus then chooses to heal him and then he does it. And this might seem really basic and obvious to you, but I really don't think it is if you start thinking about your own experience when you've asked God to heal you. And you start thinking what faith is in this moment is I have to believe really hard. Like, I got to believe really hard that this is going to happen and maybe it will. You're confused. In that moment, you're very confused about what faith actually is. Every miraculous healing is an act of God's sovereign will, not an act of your will. Never is it an act of your will. It is always and only God doing it. And you can't, this is exactly what happens here, is that this leper has enough faith to see that Jesus has this authority and he goes, well, maybe if he has this authority, he, he would have authority over leprosy, even leprosy. Now, that's a lot of faith. But his faith is not Jesus will heal me, it's Jesus can. He has the authority to just do it. And if he'll just do it, then I'll be healed, no question. So having faith is not about believing really hard that a miracle is going to happen It isn't about the quality of your faith, but the object of your faith. I say this to you all the time. It's not about how much you have of it. It's not about how strong or unshakable it is. It's just whether or not you have it at all and who it's in. If your faith is in your faith, if your faith is in your belief or your confidence that right now this person is praying for me to be healed, let's put yourself in the position of the leper. And you're like, okay, I'm believing really hard. And if I believe hard enough and I click my heels together and I get enough fairy dust, then miracles will happen. Right? And we turn Christianity into some kind of weird Disney movie where it's all about how much we want it or how much we will it to happen. And somehow God is looking, do you really want it? Really? How bad do you want it? Believe harder. And then I'll do it. It's not how this works. It's simply, Jesus, I know you have all the authority, and that's where my faith is. It's not the quality of your faith, but who your faith is in. It isn't about how much you believe God will or won't do something that matters. It's who you believe in, no matter how small or feeble that belief is. That's good news. Because my faith is like really feeble. (laughs) 
Like, I don't know what God's going to do at any given moment. I don't know if when I lay hands on someone and pray that God will heal them, if they will be healed or not. Here's the thing. I don't have to know. I don't even have to believe that it will happen to have faith. All I have to have is this kind of faith, which is I know who to ask. I know Jesus, and I know he has all authority. It's not, he doesn't have to try. Jesus doesn't have to yell in order to exert his authority. He doesn't have to try really hard or be impressive. He just has it, right? This is Jesus' point in Matthew 17, 20, where he rebukes them. We'll get to this story weeks from now. But he rebukes his disciples for not being able to cast a demon out of a boy. Remember that? And they say, how come we couldn't do it? And he says, well, this, these come out by prayer. Like you can't just willy-nilly. This one comes out by prayer. What does he mean? They're so enamored with the ability to cast out demons that they fail to seek the giver of that gift in prayer. What is prayer? Prayer is not trying really hard. It's the opposite of that. We tend to think of prayer as a work. Like if I pray really hard, then God will do this thing. That's not prayer. Prayer is like, I know who to ask. So here the disciples were trying to cast out a demon out of a little boy and not asking God to help them. Not praying at all going, we got this. Isn't this cool how much power we have? And then it wouldn't come out. And they say, why not? Jesus says, you didn't ask me. You didn't ask me. It was a lack of faith. That's what a lack of faith is, is not knowing where to ask. He tells them all it takes, and that's where Jesus says this amazing thing. He says that's all, all it takes is faith the size of a mustard seed to move mountains. What does that mean? A mountain is the biggest thing they knew. And a mustard seed is the smallest thing they knew. We, we can see much smaller things now with microscopes and telescopes. So you can have the tiniest shred of faith that you can imagine. Just imagine the smallest little bit of faith that you can imagine having and still having it. Microscopic. It's not even visible to the naked eye, but you can see it under a telescope. My faith is that teeny, teeny, tiny, eensy, beetsy. That's all it takes to move the biggest thing, the biggest problem, the biggest mountain. That's all it takes. Why? Because it's not about you. <laughs> it's not about your will. It's not about your strength. God is not ever going to be impressed by you having all this great will and confidence. All he wants is you to believe that he has all authority to do it. That's it. So faith is not believing really hard. Faith is not stirring up your will to match God's or try to move God with the sheer force of your willing. You know, you can't move God with your will. Like your will is just not bigger than his. <laughs> you ever tried? How'd it go? It didn't go well. He's an immovable force. You are, whether you think or not so or not, you are a movable force. Like if you butt heads with God, you're the one that's going to hurt, not him, Right? Faith is trusting Jesus in the same way a baby trusts her mother. We see another example of this in the next story, which is Matthew 8, 5 through 13. The faith of a centurion. He says, verse 5, when he had entered Capernaum, this is Jesus, right, entering Capernaum, 
A centurion came forward to him, appealing to him. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. So verse 7 is interesting. It's probably a question. Even though in my ESV it's not written as a question. You could say, shall I come to heal him? Jesus always likes to give little tests of faith. Like, do I need to come? Do I, should I come there? The centurion goes, no, 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 you don't even need to come. <laughs> you don't even need to come and be present. Why? How does he know this? It's the same thing. The centurion has recognized Jesus' authority. That Jesus has an authority that no one else seems to have. Why would he have to come? If he has a, this much authority over everything, he doesn't have to be present. It's not, so, it's not the healing's not in his fingers. It's just in his authority. And he has authority over everything. So much so that he can just speak a word from a distance. I think it's amazing. Why was Jesus so impressed? Jesus says, I've never seen faith like this. Is it because the centurion was like believing really hard? No, he had just had this one singular revelation. Jesus has all authority over everything. If he can heal a leper, certainly he can just speak and have my servant healed miles away. He believed that Jesus could heal from a distance, as cool as that was, but he had perceived something about Jesus' authority that no one else had up to that point. The centurion saw Jesus' authority, not just his power. Jesus is not just a leveled up human with superpowers. He's not just, he's not you, but better. This is something else. This is also really significant because here's this centurion who is a Roman. He is an employee of their oppressors. He is a Roman centurion, a Gentile, who is asking Jesus, a Jew, to heal his servant. This is Jesus' first mission trip into Gentile territory, which explains what he says next. That little aside, which might seem confusing to you, where he says, well, I'm really impressed by your faith. And then he sort of makes this speech that seems to have nothing to do with it. Let's talk about that for a minute. That's verses 11 and 12, where he says, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's like, wait a minute, those guys are long gone at this point. And he says, in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So remember, the centurion is a Gentile, and he's about as Gentile as a Gentile can get. He's just 
kind of the poster child of not being a Jew. All right? He says, those from the east and the west, those are the Gentiles of the rest of the world. The sons of the kingdom would be the Jews. And Jesus is flipping the expectation. John the Baptist had rebuked them and said, you think just because you're an ethnic Jew that you come from Abraham, that you're just going to be right with God because of that. He says, no, 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 no. That's not how this works. Because God wants people who are followers of him, who, are, who believe in him, who honor his authority, who want to be like him and put their trust in him. It's about Jesus. If you want to be righteous, you've got to have a relationship with Jesus, not just come from the right family. Jesus is saying the same exact thing. You can't get into heaven because of where you come from. That's not how this works. Righteousness comes from Jesus, not just from being born in the right place at the right time. Jesus is so moved by this centurion's faith that he takes this as his moment to kind of give his first shot across the bow about the gospel. It's amazing. I want you to think about this for a minute. What does Jesus have authority over? Now, it's hard for us because we have authority over basically nothing. <laughs> I mean, we, we sort of think we do from moment to moment. But, and you, like you think you, you have authority over your kids and you do in one sense, but then you tell them to do something and sometimes they don't do it. And you're like, oh, incensed that they didn't do what you told them to do. Because they have a little will of their own. And you feel like you have authority over your house until, you know, the gutters leak or it breaks down. You think, every, you think you're under control of everything until you find out that you're not. And then suffering comes into your life and you find out that you're not even in control of that. You're not even in control of your body anymore. You get to a certain age and you start to go, man, things are just not working like they used to. I thought I was on top of this, and you're just not. But what does Jesus have authority over? Absolutely everything. His authority doesn't take effort for him. You know, I was like, curing the most incurable thing for Jesus didn't require effort. I mean, how effortless is speaking? I just say a word, like it's that easy for him. He didn't have to do some push-ups first, you know, really get in the zone. Don't you ever feel that way when you pray for something? Okay, I got to get in the zone. I got to get really connected to God. I got to really feel it. I got to really believe really hard. Maybe, you know, read some Psalms, get myself pumped up, listen to some, I don't know, whatever you listen to, to, you know, some good worship music or I don't know queen or something. I don't know what you listen to. You get pumped up, you know, and like, all right, now I'm going to pray for this thing that I really want God to do. But does Jesus have to do any of that? Jesus is casually walking along and casually heals somebody by just saying so and then keeps going. And miles away, someone paralyzed in their bed just gets up. Imagine what it was like for them. <laughs> like, what just happened? I'm just laying here writhing in pain, 
And now I'm just walking around. What happened? Hours later, your boss comes in and goes, hey, how you doing? I don't know, something happened. You won't believe it. He just said it. So the same reason that Jesus could heal the centurion's servant is the reason he can heal you right now. You don't have to see him standing here in front of you. You don't have to have the benefit of that to stir your belief because you don't have the authority. It doesn't rest on you. It rests on him completely. Jesus has all authority in heaven on earth. All of it. How much does he have? All of it. He doesn't have to try to heal. Neither do you need to try to believe. All you need is for Jesus to will it and it will be. That's what he said to the first guy, the leper. Lord, if you will it, I'll be healed. Jesus says, I will be healed. I know this puts us in a, maybe a scary position. Because what I've just done is taken away all of your ability to affect the outcome, which is scary. I mean, let's be honest. We don't like that. <laughs> I want to be at least contribute. I want to contribute so I have some control and so that if it, do, if, I, if it doesn't happen, if Jesus says no or he says wait, then I, can, I don't have to deal with the fact that he said no. I can say, well, I just, when I have enough faith, when I believe enough, it'll happen. It puts you in a place of utter dependence on him to rescue you or to heal you or to give you the strength to get through the thing that you're dealing with. You know, Jesus didn't heal everybody. We don't see those stories. We see moments where the crowd gathers, Jesus heals a few people, and then he leaves town. And we don't ever stop and think about the people in the back of the line that didn't get up there and didn't get hands laid on them and didn't get the healing and they were just left in town going, why didn't he stop for me? But what we, one of the things we do see is we see Jesus constantly running from the crowd. He runs from, he avoids people who only want the miracle but aren't interested in him. When the crowds gather, most of them gather, not because they believe Jesus has all authority, but because they just want to see a cool show. They want to see a miracle, and maybe they can get one for themselves and then go about their day and not think about this Messiah guy again. And Jesus is constantly avoiding them, and when he can't avoid them, he offends them intentionally. What do you think he was doing when he said, you've got to eat my flesh? You've got to drink my blood to be Christian? You think he could have said that in a more palatable way? Of course he could. Why did he do that? Because he didn't trust, because they didn't have this kind of faith. They just wanted a nice trick. They wanted a blessing, <laughs> but they didn't want him. That's why he walked on the water. He was trapped between this crowd of people and the water. And he said, I got to get away from these people. So he said, I'm walking across. And so the lesson is, don't be those people. You come to him, you say, 
The revelation, what it means to have faith in Jesus, is not to be impressed by his power, but to be submitted to his authority. That's faith. And I think once you kind of let that go, <laughs> it's freeing. When you realize you're helpless and you own up to the fact that you're helpless, it's freeing. Because now it's just about you trusting him. It's about you trusting his goodness. It's about you trusting his wisdom. It's about you trusting him and not, not going, well, maybe he, he's not paying attention or maybe he's mad at me or maybe he's, you know, he, I, I don't want to pray for that because he's, Jesus, is, this is not very important and Jesus is busy doing more important things. Have you ever heard that before? You just don't know who God is. He's infinitely powerful and it's not work for him to do things for you. It's about his will. So here's how I want to respond to this this morning. So I want us to come to him and just submit to him and ask him for stuff. Like he's your, he's your daddy and he's your friend and he loves you and you are powerless to do anything. It's not about you going, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I read this story and now I'm going to believe like super, super much. I believe so much right now. I'm so impressed by how much I believe. And instead, just go, God, if you, if you will it, you have all authority. And I got these things I'm asking you for. Maybe some of it's like a physical problem. Maybe it's an emotional problem. Maybe you got some other mountain that needs to be moved. And you've been frustrated with your lack of confidence that God will do anything about it. <laughs> I want to let you off the hook. What I'd like to do is bring this stuff to him and just ask him to do miracles. Like, why not? Like, does Jesus have to be physically right in front of you to heal you? No. Do you have to wait until you're dead? When he's standing in front of you or you're standing in front of him is probably a better way to put it. No, he can do it right now. It's not a big deal. It's just not a big deal. And I don't know if he will or won't. That's not the point, right? So here's how I like to do this. If you're here this morning, present, um, and you just want to ask God for something like this, any kind of healing or whatever, like some impossible thing, that I just want you to stand up. And if you're online somewhere, if you're with people, I mean, it doesn't matter what you do. If you're by yourself, you can like raise your hand, but it won't matter. But you can if you'd like to. But if you're with people, just, just kind of acknowledge to them that, that's, that you need prayer. Because I'm going to pray for you. Um, and we're going to all pray together for whoever's standing up. Um, and just ask God to do miracles. Is that all right? Can we do that? So if, if, that's, if you'd like to ask God for something, go ahead and stand up. Or wave at your neighbor on the couch. So Lord, we just confess, God, we agree with you that you have all authority over everything. You have authority over cancer. You have authority over depression, bipolar, 
even the common cold. You have authority over every single thing that we don't have authority over. God, you have authority over the, the mountains. You have authority over nature itself. You have authority over people, over souls. God, you have authority even over the most rebellious of our children. Lord, you have authority over every disease, every ailment. You have authority over even the scariest mental health problem, including anxiety disorders, panic attacks, all the things that the world says you must cope with and live with, you have authority over. God, you have authority over us. You have authority over our future and our present and our past. Lord, you have authority over this church, its very existence. You have authority over our lives and every breath we take. You have authority over it. And God, we believe you <laughs> that with a word from your mouth, anything can change. There is nothing that cannot be changed just by a word from your mouth. God, we are amazed by you. And Lord Jesus, we ask you right now to do miracles among your people. Lord, would you demonstrate your authority in us? Would you demonstrate your power that you rule and reign, that the kingdom has come? So God, I pray over everyone here that's asking for it, and God, and everyone online right now, God, that you would hear their prayers and answer with a yes. <laughs> God, if you will, they will be healed. So God, we just kneel before you. We submit to you. We are, God, we're just amazed by you. Jesus, thank you for making us a family. And God, I pray that we would begin to see faith stirred, not just in our church, but it would be contagious. God, the world would see that the Jesus we follow, the Jesus that we are disciples of, has an authority that they have never seen before. God, that there's something different about this one. There's something different about these people and the God they serve. That he has an authority that has never been seen and can never be seen again. It is only in you. God, help us to be people of true faith. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right. Love you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you next time.